Eternity in view. Eternity in view. This month, we've been talking about love overdrive, and we've stated that the love of God that is in Christ Jesus is always looking for a channel, a channel. So, I said last Sunday that a wholesome human being is a human being that can receive and give love. If you have lost your capacity to receive love, something is wrong with you. If you have lost your capacity to give love in the same vein, something is wrong. A balanced life, a wholesome life, is that kind of life that has the capacity to give and to receive love. Yeah, the capacity to give and to receive love. And God wants to use each and every one of us as a channel of dispensing his love to our world. That's why we're called the light of the world, the city that's, uh, you know, on the top of the hill. The Bible says, cannot be hidden. Yeah, and no man lights a candle and put it under the table, or under a basket. He said he puts it on the, on, on the table so that it can light, light up the whole place. And our capacity to give love is what makes us the light indeed. One of the ways we enhance this capacity to beam the light of God is to live with eternity in view. That's one of the ways we enhance that capacity. When we live with eternity in view, we will really enhance our capacity uh, to shine the light of God. Our existence is not unidimensional. It's not a unidimensional experience. It's a multidimensional experience. It's multidimensional in nature. That's our existence here. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23, the Bible says, And may the Lord sanctify you wholly, and may your spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And there... Uh, the writer of, of, of the book of First Thessalonians was speaking to the fact that man is a tripartite being. is primarily a spirit. He possesses a soul and lives in a body. And a lot of the time, we think that all that, is, that, that, that it is about our life is just the body. The body is just like a space suit that you need to exist here. It's just a house you live in. The entirety of a man should not be defined by the house that he lives in. It's by who lives in the house. Yeah. So the big question this morning is, who lives in the house? The person that lives in the house is a spirit that cannot be limited to one phase of existence. That's why the Bible says, appointed to man wants to die, and then we we'll go to the other side, because the spirit of man cannot be exterminated. It's only the body of man that will grow hold and be released. Because it's needed for us to live here and to function here. In the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 16, we read a story of the rich man and Lazarus. Jesus had many things to say about life in eternity. And he encouraged us to put our life in eternity in perspective because it's going to help us to shape how we live in real time. When our life in eternity is in perspective, it shapes how we live in real time. It shapes how we see many things. It shapes how we see family, how we see money. It shapes how we see position. It shapes how we manage affluence and influence. Yeah, it's when we have eternity in perspective 
that all that will happen. So in Luke 16, uh, when you read from, from verse 19, Jesus told a story about the rich man and Lazarus. And many people have, uh, a few people have a few things to say about that. Some people said, oh, is it a real story? Or Jesus was just telling one of the parables. This was not really a parable. It was a story. He didn't say the kingdom of God is like. No, he said there was a certain, a certain, a certain rich man. I read uh, a commentary once that said, uh, Jesus perhaps knew that he could get into trouble if he mentioned the name of the rich man. And he didn't want to be sued. That's why he didn't mention the name of the rich man. But since Lazarus cannot sue him, he didn't have the money to pay a lawyer. So he mentioned Lazarus's name. Yeah. <laughs> because he said there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus. <laughs> full of sores who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. Uh, from this you know that somehow, Jesus described something, that the beggar, though he was a beggar, he got uh, the attention of heaven. His exit got the attention of heaven to the point that heavenly beings attended to him. The rich man died. His exit got the attention of earthly people. They buried him. <laughs> I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. One commanded the attention of heaven. The other one commanded only attention on her. There are people who pass every day and nobody knows about it, but heaven does. And some people who also pass, the whole nation is at a standstill, but heaven, there's nothing happening in heaven. <laughs> yeah. Some people pass, a whole city is shut down, but heaven says, we don't know what's going on there. Yeah. Yeah. There's no, no significance in heaven at all. No significance in heaven at all. And the Bible says here, in verse 23, and being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. And Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now, can we read this phrase together? One, two, go. But now... He is comforted. Can we read one more time? So, there's a possibility that in eternal life, someone can be tormented, another one comforted. Yeah. Someone can be tormented, another one comforted. It's a reality of eternal life. Let me read a little further, or maybe I should just summarize it because of time. I don't have enough time. So the conversation ensued again, and this guy said, Father Abraham, can you send Lazarus, since you can't send him to this place? Because he said there's a, a chasm, a, a, a big gulf between us, you know. Can you then send him, allow him to wake up and let him go to my brother's house, I mean my father's house, because I have five other brothers, or these seven brothers that he said he had. Yeah. Uh, let him go there and speak to them. 
so that they will repent and they will not come to this place of torment. Uh, but Father Abraham told him, he said, they have Moses and the prophets to warn them, which speaks of the books of the Old Testament, which was the books they had there. Yeah. He said, they had Moses and the prophets. And he said, but if a man should rise from the dead to speak to them, maybe they will hear faster. But Abraham said, no. If they will not yield to, <laughs> said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophet, they won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. May you not be in a situation where you will need someone to rise from the dead for you to be persuaded. Because some people say, how can I be sure that eternity is real? If you believe the word of God, when, it, when Jesus said, I will bless you. When God said you know, to Abraham, I'll bless you, I'll make your name great. You know, we claim it because we're <laughs> descendants of Abraham spiritually. Yeah? But how come we struggle with the truth of eternity according to the word, words of Jesus? And we need an evidence before we can believe. If I choose to live by the Bible and believe in the word of God, I have to believe everything. I literally don't need an evidence to believe that there's the hereafter. But just for the people who may still be stuck at that point. One of the ways you're sure that there has to be more to this world than this physical realm is to understand that, especially for us as Africans, we know that the spiritual realm is real. That this world cannot be wrapped up complete in the three-dimensional plane. There's a fourth dimension, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. You know, three-dimensional, we talk about things that can be held, that has a shape, that has length, breadth, and, you know, height, and you can dimension it. But there's a fourth dimension, which is the realm of the unseen. In the realm of the unseen, for instance, thoughts are things in the realm of the unseen. What you are thinking is already something. Yeah. That's why God says in, in Genesis 11 and verse 6, he said, whatever they imagine, I can't stop them from doing it. Because in the realm of God, thoughts are things. What is intangible in our realm is tangible in his realm. When scripture says, uh, Ephesians 3 and 20, he said, now to him who is able to do exceeding, abundantly far and above what you can ask or think. He said, God is able to do more than what you can ask or think. That means God can dimension your thoughts. Yeah. Because in his realm, what is intangible to us is tangible to him. Yeah. I read, uh, from, I read a book written by a one-time pastor of the largest church in the world, uh, David Yonggi Cho, which was titled Fourth Dimension. Yeah. And in that book, he was describing how God started to teach him about the fact that there's a fourth dimension to this world. That God says when you conceive something and you envision something, I can make it a reality. The architects, for instance, architecture is a profession that works on the reality of the fourth dimension. That you can imagine something, then put it on paper, draw it out, and over a period of time, it becomes what you can see. I mean, this place was once a drawing. This place that was sitting in. That I sat with, you know, the building committee of the church, we were looking at it, talking to consultants, you know, and all that, and the, the North American company that supplied this structure uh, flew in a, one of their consultants. We sat together and were looking at everything, and this was paper. 
But for about three years now, this has been a reality. Yeah. It means there's a fourth dimension, the realm of the unseen. What am I saying? If you believe that it's a realm of the unseen, then there has to be eternity. Yeah. There has to be eternity. It should be easier for you to believe. That has to be eternity. The spiritual realm is very real and it's the fourth dimension. The reality of the fourth dimension reinforces the existence and actuality of eternity. That's what it does. Reinforces the existence and the actuality of eternity. Praise God. Another scripture where Jesus was confronted with this issue of eternity. There are two sects, the religious sects of his days, that were Jesus' major adversaries. The Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Sadducees were different from the Sadducees based on many beliefs, but one particular belief that they had was that uh, the Sadducees don't believe in resurrection or angels or spirits. By, I mean, by implication, the past don't believe in eternity. And so they wanted to trick Jesus and came to him in Matthew 22. When you read from verse 23, they brought this funny story. It was a trick. Just to put some logic to what you are saying, Jesus, let's disprove this thing openly because we're going to get you red-handed and you won't be able to say anything. So they said, Moses told us that if a man marries a woman and then the woman, I mean the man dies, his brother should marry the wife, take over the wife. Yeah. They said, so there's this family, they have seven brothers. And the brother died and then this, the second brother took over the wife. And then that brother died. And then the third brother took over the wife. And then the brother died. And then the fourth brother took over the wife. You know, you, you already know that these are funny people. Yeah. They wanted one woman to last the lifetime of seven men. I don't know how, what, what they were thinking about, but they were funny people. <laughs> Because if it's the culture where we live, where I live right now, nobody will marry that woman again. Yeah. But they painted the scenario. <laughs> that, okay, then up to the seventh brother died. And then the woman herself died. In eternity, who is going to be the husband of that woman? Yeah. <laughs> They're trying to trick Jesus to say, look, there's no eternity anywhere. Stop deceiving us. And you see the response of Jesus to them in verse 29. Jesus answered them and, and said, uh, said to them, you are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. Jesus invariably says to anyone who does not believe in eternity that you are mistaken. You don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God if you don't believe in eternity. It means that you need to do more work on the scriptures for you to gain a revelation, a true revelation of eternity. And to live your life putting eternity in perspective. So Jesus went for that in verse 30. It says, For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but they are like angels of God in heaven. It said, But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read that what was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham? The God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Jesus quoted from Exodus chapter 3, where God appeared to 
Moses and said, go to Pharaoh. And was saying, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What Jesus was saying here is that you're ignorant. You don't know the scriptures. If you really know the scriptures, you know that God is not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. That means Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they are still alive with God. He didn't say, I was the God of Abraham. I was the, I am the God of Abraham. Yeah. And when you go back to the other story that we read, Jesus was referring to a man in Abraham's bosom. Yeah. That means Abraham is still alive in eternity. Are you still with me today? And he was telling these people, he said, you don't know the scriptures, not the power of God. Because in eternity, there's no giving in marriage. There's no, you know, there's nothing like marriage. Right? All just like angels. Sadducees, they don't believe in angels. We're all like angels before God. Yeah. And that's what I'm telling somebody here this morning. I mean, for instance, in our climb here, there's a concept they call spiritual husband. Jesus said, spirits don't marry. <laughs> I don't want to dis to dis distract myself. Uh, I will have gone deeper into it. Because one of the lies that some people believe, yeah, that if you, I mean, some, some people, for instance, believe if you have sex in your dream, it means you have spiritual husband and all that. It may be just an attack. There's no husband. Nobody married you. Yeah. Spirits don't marry. That's what Jesus said. I didn't write that. Spirits don't marry. Yeah. It may be an attack on your mind, you know, or something, a spiritual attack, but don't take that crap that you're married to somebody in the spirit. There's nothing like that. Spirits don't marry. Demons don't marry. Angels don't marry. Yeah. So people are still looking at me. Where did you get this one? You saw it there. Yeah. You saw it there. Yeah. Yeah. You saw it there. You know, they say some of those things to, to make it look, to, for you to be able to relate with it, so they form it. Yeah. And some people don't read the scriptures to then compare notes with what has been formed. Yeah. We'll talk about that another time. Maybe when, when I'm really teaching on marriage. Praise God. <laughs> I said, praise God. So, Jesus addressed the issue and said, look, God is not the God of the, the dead, but it's God of the living. Um, our mind can be limited if we choose to make it limited. There was a time that people believe that there are no people living in other parts of the world. There's a time people believe that the world was flat until they sat it out. So you need to make up your mind. I want to believe the scriptures, and I want to believe there's eternity. And I want to live my life in the light of eternity. There are two levels of existence in eternity. One is eternity with God, which is positive. And then we have eternity of torment, which is negative, obviously. We saw that in the story of Richman and Lazarus. I'm talking about eternity with God, which is positive. In John 14, when you read from verse 1, Jesus described it in a very glowing way, and I love his description. That's eternity positive. The way, uh, take the negative away, please. It's scaring me. Put, put, Put the positive. <laughs> Eternity positive. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Said in my father's house, there are many mansions. You see, don't take the word mansion literally. It's just the kind of comfort you get when you live in a mansion. That's what he was talking about. Yeah, the kind of comfort you get when you live in a mansion, when you live in a place where everything is provided and a place of room. Where there are no limitations. He said in my father's house that many mansions was describing eternity positive. Yeah. 
In my father's house are many mansions. If it was not so, I would not have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And then he went ahead to say, you know the place, you know another. And then um, one of his disciples, Thomas, the doubter, said, we don't know the place. How can we know the road to the place? And that, then Jesus answered him in verse 6 of John 14 and said, I am. You already know the, the, the way. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. And no one can come to the Father except by me. So don't tell me you don't know the way. I am the way. Yeah, I am the way. You know, we call that scripture, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That was what he was trying to explain to them. Don't second guess eternity. I'm going, I'm going ahead of you, putting everything in place. You know the way. I am the way. I am the way. So if you follow me, you don't have a choice but to get there. We also have eternity negative, like I said, which is eternity of, uh, of torment. And in Matthew 25, verse 41, Jesus alluded to it when he said, then he will say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. This, the original intention of eternity negative is for the devil and his angels. It's not meant for all of us. But anyone who will come into an accord with the devil and his angels, which we now call demons, may have to follow them to the place that has been prepared for them. Jesus prepared a place for you and I, but a place has already also been prepared for the devil and his angels. I'm going through all this for a purpose, and I'm going to <laughs> explain it to you as I start, uh, you know, start to tie everything together. Big question this morning, and I want you to let me ask your neighbor, where are you headed? Ask somebody, I say, where are you headed? Tell your neighbor, I know the question is scaring you. But pastor told me to ask you. <laughs> where are you headed? Part of the reason why I'm teaching this this morning, one, is to help somebody to escape the fear of death. Secondly, is to put your life in perspective so that you spend it as an investment in God's kingdom. Yeah. And not just consume it on yourself. Because everything is not going to end here. Where are you headed? So how comfortable or uncomfortable you live on earth does not necessarily indicate how you will live in the hereafter. So let's not get it twisted. I know we read the story about the rich man and Lazarus. It doesn't mean that every rich man is going to hell. There's nothing like that. It's not what you have. It's how you live with what you have. Yeah. Can I say that one more time? It's not what you have. It's how you live with what you have. Yeah. It's how you live with what we have. I can't but go back to Gary. Yeah. To, sorry, I'm, I'm using you to preach this morning. But to be able to say that when I meet people like him, I'm encouraged. I can see my future. Yeah. I can see my future. I can see what to live for and what to die for and what, what not to live for. Yeah. I can see that money will pave into insignificance at some point, notwithstanding how much of it you amass. And it's good to make money. Some people are gifted to make money. Yeah. But you, it's just that when you... When, when you discover that you're a gifted person in money-making, you must re-examine yourself again to say, why did God give me this gift? And how am I going to steward this gift with eternity in view? Yeah. How am I going to steward this gift with eternity in view? For somebody here, it may be, you know, it may be influence of political office or, or corporate office or 
you know, any kind of influence, you need to always ask yourself, why did God give me this? And how am I going to steward it so that it can put me in the right place where I'm making the right investment? The right investment. The right investment. You know, uh, Jesus was talking about making the right investment in Matthew chapter 6 from verse 19 down to 21. He said, do not lay up treasures on earth where the moth and the rust destroy and where the thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That means while we're preparing for eternity, we need to know that we need to send some things ahead. Yeah. He said, lay it up. Send it ahead. Can I ask somebody a question this morning? What are you sending ahead? Just in case Jesus will need some materials for your mansion. Have you sent cement? Yeah? Are you sending sharp sand? Because that's what we used to build. Are you sending some planks? Yeah. Some wooden materials? Have you sent some furniture ahead? Just in case. (laughs) Because the same Jesus said, lay up treasure, send it ahead. For instance, when you win souls, you are sending something ahead. Yeah. Because it touches the heart of God. The whole thing about his kingdom is how he's going to grow his family and populate his kingdom. When you participate in anything that gives the love of God to anyone around you, you're sending something ahead. When you support kingdom business, kingdom work, when you support soul winning, when you yourself win souls, anything that aligns with heaven's agenda, last week I spoke about agendas, anything that aligns with heaven's agenda, it means that you're sending something ahead. It means you're sending something ahead. So I said, how comfortable you are does not necessarily determine how comfortable you will be there. We saw that from the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Again, also, what you do in the first half determines what happens in the second half. Yeah. What you do in the first half determines what happens in the second half. You know in any game of sport that have two halves, there's no smart for instance, soccer, football club that plans only for the first half of the game. There's none. Yeah. I haven't seen any. And I know a lot of you here support clubs in the English Premiership. Yeah. If you see the club manager, maybe you are, I don't want to mention any club. Now service will be rowdy. Leave story. Yeah. If, you, if you see the, the, the manager of a club now that you support and he's doing a press briefing, you say, you know what, for this game, we only have a plan for the first half. Whatever happens in the second half, we'll just take it like that. What will you say? You send an email immediately or go on Twitter and say, sack him, sack that manager. Yeah. Meanwhile, that's the way some of us live currently. We only have plans for this place. We don't have plans for that place. Yeah. And we don't know that this is just the first half. But you know the tricky part of this is that the second half is longer. <laughs> it's not equal half. The second half is eternity, eternity. Yeah. It's just eternity with God. It's just there, you know. That, that's that's the, the second half. It's just there. I was saying in the first service that when I turned 40 a few years ago, uh, 
one of our members here gave me a book that was titled Half Time. Yeah. <laughs> I picked the book. I was wondering, why did this person give me this book? Are you trying to say that I'm already halfway? <laughs> so I was trying to read the book, book cautiously. You just open it to just see what, what, what are they talking about. Yeah. And I saw there are some very good tips to planning the second half of your life. And that got me thinking. But studying the scriptures, I got a, an even better perspective than that. That I should not be preoccupied only with the second half of this place. That's why people get in trouble with midlife crisis. Yeah. They're getting depressed because you're not, you are, you are not at the executive cadre yet. And you are now in your 40s or 50s. Your friends have five houses in Lagos and you only have one or, or half. <laughs> or or you, you don't even have at all, you know. And then you, 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 you are becoming frantic and, you know, trying to burn down anything that can burn down just because you want to make a headway. You need to understand that this whole life is your half time. I mean, it's your first half. Don't come under immense pressure. I mean, it's good to plan our lives and put it in a compartment. I like to see life as the morning of life, the afternoon of life, yeah? When you are in your 30s and all that going, I mean. And then the, the evening of life, yeah? They, they, they mid-50s into late-60s. And then there's a night of life. We call it departure lounge. Yeah. Yeah. Where... You are there in the departure lounge. You know. <laughs> Praise God. If you have eternity in view, like I said, you will not struggle with midlife crisis uh, because you know that it's, it's, it's not... I mean, the, the entire life is just first half. And in preparing for eternity, there's a scripture here that Paul wrote to Timothy by inspiration, which actually shows how sweet life should be, especially for anyone here who is so afraid of death right now. You know, I said something in the first service, that if death is actually seen the way we're supposed to see it, Many people will not be afraid of death. We're afraid of death because it's not because of the death and the death itself, it's because of the uncertainty of what will come after death. And sometimes also because we will miss some loved ones here. But outside of that, it's just a torment from the devil. Yeah, just torment from the devil. Can I explain what I mean? Death is supposed to be like visa. Yeah. You know, if you want to travel to Europe or you want to go to America as a Nigerian, if you carry a Nigerian passport, you need a visa. That's death. It just gives you entrance into a better place. <laughs> Praise God. If you truly know it's a better place, should you be afraid to go to a better place? Can I give you a better example? Many Nigerians want to if possible, hold the American passport, become American, all right? So you imagine if we say that if you die now, 
before you die, you'll make up your mind which country's passport you want. So, the moment they kill you like this, on the other side, they will just welcome you with the passport of that country and usher you into that country. The queue for death will be as long as from where? Am I saying the truth? Yeah. From here to my Duguri, people will stay on the queue. In fact, they will fight for their turn. Ah, okay, why are you shunting the queue? Why are you shunting the queue? Ah, it, it, am I, have I not been on this queue for so long? Am I saying the truth? Our problem is not death. It is what happens after it. It's not really the death. It's what happens after it. If you can be sure of what will happen after it, you will lose the fear of death completely. And I know God wants to break the hold of the fear of death over somebody's life here this morning. Yeah. Yeah. Whether you go on the road, you fly, anything, you should be able to tell, you know, uh, I gave an account once where I was flying within the country here and the plane became very turbulent and all that. People were calling all kinds of names and calling, you know, uh, some people were repenting right there under sweat and everything and just say God if you just give me this one chance I will never I will never look at a woman again you know all kinds of things were going on and I sat down there actually the truth was that I was looking out for my my PA because I wanted to be sure whether he's one of those kind of people or not. so I was, I was busy looking far back and just what's happening to this boy is he has he joined them <laughs> Because I just, I just sat down there and I was like, I mean, I just said one small prayer. Lord, if it's time, it's okay. I know I'll receive a good welcome on the other side. But if it's not time, it's not time. There's nothing the devil can do about it. You just sat down there. There's no point peeing on yourself. It's not going to change anything. Yeah. yeah, because some people peed on themselves, vomited, did everything. Yeah. I mean, you can imagine when we came down, some people, the way they were looking. <laughs> After vomiting on yourself. <laughs> You know, and some of us just walked out and we just carried our luggage and just moved on. It's just one of those things. It's not time, it's not time. The devil in hell is not born. Who will take you before your time? And if it's time, you know where you're going. The Bible says there's no fear in love, perfect love casts out fear. If you have the love of Jesus in your heart, you should not be afraid of death. Fear of death is born out of lack of love. If you have received the love of Jesus and you believe his words and you are a carrier of that love, then you know that not only is your eternity sorted, it's sorted properly. Yeah, with rewards. Glory be to Jesus. Paul, the apostle, writing to his protege, Timothy, had this to say. He wrote this letter from his own departure lounge. Yeah. What a great way to exit. And I want to challenge anyone here this morning, everyone watching online, that when in a good old age you are in your departure lounge, what kind of WhatsApp message or SMS will you send to your children or your protege? Yeah. Second Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 6, put it up for me. Paul writing to Timothy he said, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. It's like somebody being at an airport and saying, Well, about to take off. I'm at the departure lounge. Yeah. While some people are screaming, 
on their deathbed and yelling and in pain and they don't know what's going to happen to their family. They messed up. They, Paul said, he was, he was writing calmly. You know, I fought a good fight. I finished my race. I have kept the faith. That's huge. Finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Let me pause here. There's no way you dissect crown. It means influence. It means authority. It means anything that will make you comfortable. Paul said, where I'm going, I'm going there knowing that crowns are laid up for me. Yeah. I'm at departure lounge. This is a flight that is inevitable and I know where I'm going. And he turned this down. It's the equivalent of a modern day WhatsApp message or SMS to your son or your protege. Yeah. So when, when it's your time, what are you going to write? This is what Paul wrote. He said, I'm done. Finish my race. I'm at the battle lounge. I'm being poured out as a drink offering. I'm finished. Everything poured out. And I'm going. Yeah. Finally, they said, laid up for me a crown of righteousness. With the Lord, the righteous judge will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Do you love his appearing? Because if you do, then the same way, Paul said, the same way it's going to happen to you. It's, it's a case of <laughs> fly or die. We're all going to escape one day. What, how do I mean? Whether it's by rapture or death, they're both imminent. Yeah. If Christ should come right now, we're to be raptured. If it delays in his coming, we're going to grow old. And then we go. But when we do go, whether fly or die, when we do go, where are we going? And how are we going to live there? I said something in the first service that the whole concept of uh, gate of heaven and gate of hell there's nothing like that in the scripture go and search it very well it's just comedians and people who want to scare people and make it up you decide where you are going before you leave here there's nobody that can shut the door on a family member when you show up the big question is are you a family member <laughs> I don't know if you're getting what I'm saying you know that this uh, uh, you know, they say uh, St. Peter will stay at the door and we say you're supposed to go left or you're going to go right. There's nothing like that. I'm a family member. I'm coming to my father's house. All right? When we get in, then we'll settle our issue. But that I won't enter my father's house, <laughs> that one, you know, <laughs> there's, there's nothing like that. When you make your decision here or not and leave with your decision, you have already settled many things up front. Yeah. Many things up front. You carry the presence of Jesus in your heart. Nothing stops you from getting to where God wants to take you. Glory be to Jesus. Lastly, Revelations 12, 22 and verse 12. It said, And behold, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to give to everyone according to his work. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandment, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. Yeah. 
Glory be to Jesus. Can you help me ask your neighbor, where are you spending eternity? And how are you going to spend eternity? And who are you taking along with you? The major way to get the crown is to snatch people from the highway to hell and eternal damnation. Snatch them out. Snatch them out and take them with you. Then your crown is fully guaranteed. Fully guaranteed. I want you to lift your right hand to Jesus this morning and just say, Father, I receive grace to live the rest of my life for you. To put eternity in view. I declare this morning that the hold of the spirit of fear of death broken over my life. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. Say I leave putting eternity in perspective. Knowing that there's a place for me. I live my life for God's agenda. I give the love of Christ to people around me. I am the light of the world. I will not hide my light. I will shine my light. See, after me, say, this week, I will distribute the love of Jesus. I will speak to somebody about eternal life. And I will show somebody kindness on this earth. Help me, Father, to live my life for you. In the name of Jesus. Wave your hands to him and just bless him and appreciate him for the grace that he has given you to be, to be called his own, to be numbered amongst his people. We thank you, our Father, for the opportunity to be numbered amongst your people. Thank you because the hold of fear is broken over our hearts. Thank you because we're no longer a slave to fear. We are your children. Bless you, Father. We thank you, Father. Can I ask that we all bow down our heads just for a moment? As I say a prayer for anyone here who may want to make a decision today. Somebody who may be saying, I'm far away from God. I want a relationship with God. I want to give my life to Jesus. Another person may be here who's saying, I gave my life to Jesus before, but I got distracted. And I cannot really say that the life I'm living now, I'm living for God or with eternity in view. Pastor, I wanted to pray for me. If you're in any of those two categories, whether you are here live or you are online, I want to pray for you right now. If you don't mind, if you are online, can you go to the chat room and let us know you are making a decision today. And if you are here live, can you lift your right hand above your head? I'm making a decision to give my life to Jesus, to rededicate my life to Jesus. I want to live with him in, in eternity. I want my life to count on earth for God's agenda in eternity. Whether you are on the main floor, on the gallery, I want you to lift your hand right now if you're saying that prayer with me. God wants to come into your life. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man will open to me, I will come in and sob with him. If your hand is up, can you stand by your chair right there? Just remain where you are, but stand and pray with me. Just stand and pray with me. Remain where you are, but stand and pray with me. Just stand. Thank you for standing. Just stand and pray with me. Stand and say a prayer with me today. God is coming into your life. He's giving you a new beginning. You'll never be the same again. Anyone joining this prayer on the gallery, you know, 
under the gallery. I want you to stand right now. Thank you for standing, my brother. Thank you for standing, my sister. Just stand right now. Stand right now. God is coming into your life. God is coming into your life. You'll never be the same again. You'll never be the same again. It's better to be sure than not to be sure. If Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart, it's better to stand right now and say the prayer.